0: But how did you know? Like, what if stealing's fine for me? I'm like, you know what? It's not that big a deal. Okay, hey, if I want to take something, I'm going to take something. Where did you Where did you learn that that was wrong? Yeah, just say. Huh? Oh, so you learned it from God? Interesting. Okay, so. M- my kids, from a really young age, knew that stealing was wrong before I ever taught them that stealing was wrong, which is, which is interesting. So where does that sense of right and wrong come from? You hit it on the head, Josiah. It's God. This is the moral argument for the existence of God. It, the whole thing is this. God has hardwired you with a sense of right and wrong. Some people will try to tell you, no, 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 no. You learned that from your surroundings. You learned that from other people in your life. And while some of that is true, I've yet to meet someone that says that murdering someone is okay. Okay, And, and they've just known that. Okay, they, they may have said, you know what, uh, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. But they still thought it was wrong. So this is the moral argument for the existence of God. I want to show you a video now. Um, that William Lane Craig put out, who is a fantastic apologist. Um, if, you want, if you're really into this and, and want some more resources, reasonablefaith.org is, is a fantastic place to go. But I thought they did a really good job of explaining this in a really kind of captivating, fun way um, that held my attention, and, and I kind
1: of have a short attention span. So here you go, check it out. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we're left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in His command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God will something because he is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high fidelity recording. Your love. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong the cat's just being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice. You affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination and terrorism are wrong, for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says, 2 plus 2 equals 5. What all this amounts to, then, is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God.
0: All right, and if you want to go back and look at that again, reasonablefaith.org, you can find that pretty easily. So, a couple of things he said in here: if God does not exist, so let's let's pull up this uh, this next slide here. Well, something else he said: every time every time you say that's not fair you affirm your belief in objective morals. So if every time you're like, you know what? You did that. That is not fair. And every time you're like that that there's no way that should happen, you're actually proving that there is a standard. There is a moral standard, which means someone had to set that standard, which is a proof for the existence of God. So, here's how it goes. If God does not exist, Objective moral values and duties not, do not exist. Or sorry, duties do not exist. And then objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore, God exists. This is what's called a proof. So it, it's kind of like an equation um, for philosophy. But um, I think this is just a really concise, good way to put it. So something else he said in there is that child abuse, racial discrimination, and terrorism is objectively wrong. So, you know, people can go around and try to get around that and try to say, well, you know, someone just came up with that. But at the end of the day, who is going to sit there and go, you know what? Not a big deal to abuse a kid. Why does this happen? Because God put this in our hearts. Let's go to that scripture now in Romans, Romans chapter two. The one you had before. Yep, okay, Romans two fourteen and 15. So, when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences conf- confirm this. Their competing truths either accuse or even excuse them. So, Gentiles, who are just anyone who's not Jewish, who knew nothing about God's moral laws and standards, sometimes do what God says is morally good. So, Gentiles, non Jews, would give to the poor. They would not murder someone. And verse 15 is saying that they do this because God wrote his moral code on their heart. In Genesis, you see that God made man and woman in his image. We represent God himself. So he pre-wired us. Part of this being made in the image of God is he pre-wired all of us with this sense of right and wrong. But sin came in and confused people's moral sense, distorted the image of God within us. But deep down, we still know there's objective good and evil, and God put that within us. The problem is we know God's moral standards, but we all choose to disobey them at times. So Romans 3:23 makes it very plain: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. That's the middle of the sentence. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but 324 says they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus redeemed or reclaimed the image of God in us and freely gave us his perfect moral record. So that's when, when it says we're justified freely by his grace, it means, hey, you know what? I put this within your heart to obey me, but then he just didn't, and so out of his kindness, out of his grace, out of his love for us, he said, "Here, I'm going to make it. Just, I'm going to make you justified, just as if you never sinned, by giving my son in your place." When we trust in Jesus and we obey His moral standards by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are simply surrendering to the way that God hardwired us. We know that God Himself exists because He put it within. We He put within us His good standards, and we didn't learn them from our parents. It was hardwired within us. So, this is the this is the moral, uh, this is the moral argument for the existence of God. That God put it within our hearts, wrote it on our hearts, and I just want to add to this. I want to add another. evidence for the existence of God, besides the moral argument, because I won't have another chance to uh, teach you guys. Um, But the one that's most convincing to me for the existence of God is the beauty of nature. So think of it like this. God could have made everything black and white. Like, you could walk outside, and leaves could be, instead of green, they could be black. And then the grass could be white and you look around and everything that has color could just be black and white and blah, but he didn't do that. On top of that, you, you ever see just, you? who's been to the mountains before? Okay. If, if you've seen a mountain, you stand there and you're just amazed and you're going, whoa, I am so small and you're just in awe of this. I just I can't believe as I see the beauty of color and of nature, even on a on a blah day in the middle of winter in Iowa. I look at the snow and go, "Wow, that's incredible!" Each one of these snowflakes is different. There's there's complexity. There's beauty in nature. So the, just the beauty of nature points to the existence of God to me, um, and that's that's one of the most convincing evidences for me but what's interesting as, as you guys are learning all of these different arguments for the existence of God um, people are going to be convinced by by different ones like some of them like the moral arguments tonight they may be like yeah that, yeah it doesn't really convince me or whatever and at the end of the day the holy spirit needs to convince people in their hearts unless God himself is doing that they won't be convinced but these these arguments can really help people see open up their minds to, oh, wow, God really is real. And he really is good, and he really does love me more than anything. So that's why we're doing this. We want to help convince you and then help you convince other people that God really does exist and loves them more than they could ever imagine. All right, you guys are great listeners. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are real. And you, you not only exist, but you are involved in every detail of our lives. We thank you for that. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us and rise from the dead. And I thank you for putting within us the sense of, of right and wrong, putting it on our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would help us to reclaim the image of God within us with your help, that we would, we would no longer just go, well, yeah, I know this is right, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, that we would obey you out of love for you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.